beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. Combined with the Christian, I think combined with that, this whole Trumpism movement with the Christian nationalism, like that just compiled on top of each other. It just makes for a terrible time to be, <laughs> a terrible time to be an evangelical in America right now. <laughs> Welcome everybody back to Three Black Men Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. So Welcome, I, I'm Rob. I'm Trey. I'm Sam. Hey. And we three black men. <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> and uh so welcome back we've had a couple weeks since our last episode and as you recall in that episode which you should listen to we talked about our, the origin stories of our theological framework how we came to know god and uh i'm biased but that was an excellent conversation <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that was part one of this conversation um and so now we're gonna uh, have part two, and we're going to talk about the impact of our understanding of God and how that impacts our current uh, day work, life, etc. So uh, I kind of want to uh, pick up where Trey left off with the question that he asked us um, to start off our conversation. So he asked, what radicalized you? And uh so let's start there. What can we amend our answers, or are we? You can amend your answer. That was not a, to reflect on if it. That was not a true answer, or if there's a deeper thought. Um, maybe you got radicalized again. You know. Yeah, was, maybe. Wow. I mean, no, nah, it was true. I just, you know, I want to expound on that. You've been watching more YouTube videos. I got you, bro. <laughs> exactly. So maybe let's start with what radicalized you, and then. Um, because that was such a short answer, uh, give some uh, meat to it uh, and some understanding for the listeners, right? So what radicalized you in the faith? Let's start with Trey. Uh, so yeah, last time I gave the answer of uh, being in a conservative white evangelical seminary uh, radicalized me, but probably not in a way that most people would assume happens when you say that you got radicalized in conservative white evangelical seminary. Shout out, shout out to Trey for, for that right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could have uh, went the other way. It could have went the other way, man. You you wanted to be one way, but it's the other way. Um, Yeah, but <laughs> what, what, what happened is I went uh, to the seminary and, and in all honesty, because I, I had this conversation with somebody um just a couple of days ago and they were like, oh man, that must have been a terrible experience. I was like, you know what? I, I don't have too many bad things to say other than it just wasn't for me. Um, And who I had to be to succeed or or feel as though I was uh, or the formation there was was beneficial and worth the investment of time and money wasn't somebody that I could sleep comfortably with. And that's not to insult anybody who hangs out over there or, or, or does the course. Um, but the fact of the matter is God created me 
in this situation for a reason and to sit there and deny all of that just to sit there and make everything make sense in that situation wasn't something I could abide by. Right. So I got to a point where I, I, I left seminary and, and as far as I concerned, uh, as far as I was concerned at the time I was done, I wasn't in a rush to get back. Uh, I wasn't worried about it <laughs> at the time. Um, and, and just, when I talk about like what, what wasn't working for me there to be specific, cause I don't want to be so vague that this is pointless. Um, there was a lot of stuff with regards to, uh, all right, I'll, I'll say it like this. I take the Bible far too seriously to take it literally at every turn. And somebody right there heard that and, and, and did, did get a knee jerk reaction to hearing that. And it's not to say like, I know, I believe that the Bible is, is inspired. I believe that it is the word of God. Um, but sometimes the implications of that statement might be a little bit different for me, for you. For instance, I do not necessarily believe that it is any less impressive of God. If the creation of the world took longer than six literal 24 hour days. You hear me? Um, yeah. And that was actually an argument that I had with a professor on, on my, I think my first class, one of my first classes there um, at off rip. And, and uh, he accused me of equivocating and, and not taking the Bible seriously uh, because I suggested that it is possible that that is not a historical fact <laughs> that God created the world in six literal 24 hour days. Mm. And to me, um, it's almost diminishing the power of the cross and not only the power of the cross because i think there are times when we focus too much on the cross which is something that happens to a whole lot of people and not enough on the resurrection and i think it's almost insulting of the power of the resurrection if we sit there and sit like no you have to believe in 26 24 hour days why what difference does that make to me (laughs) if 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 my god is the author of the impossible what difference does it make where, where we draw that line um i hear you and in all honesty, like I remember that specific conversation setting the tone. And after a while, I was like, ah, oh, this is not worth it for me. And I left and I went and I was kind of just uh, treading water for a little bit um, until people kept pressuring me to finish seminary. And uh, this is an actual conversation that I had. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I Talk to me in the morning. I might have you cut this part out of the podcast or whatever. But I was like, look, I will go back to seminary but I am not going back to learn about theology from the white folks. Like those, that, that was my exact conversation with my mentor. Like I'm not, I'm not going back to that setting. And um, I ended up going to, to one of which I believe is probably, I think about six historically black seminaries in the nation. Um, and I, and I enrolled in one of them and it, and it, 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 it was for me um, yeah. just the, the challenging and the stretching and things like that. So when you talk about what radicalized me, it was people, telling me how I had to interpret the power of God. Um, that didn't sit well with me <laughs> and, and how that works. I, I, that didn't sit well with me. And when I was given permission to interrogate certain things, when I was given permission to explore who God is, um, that, that that's when I was really like, wow, like we really made God kind of tiny. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, fe- I'm feeling Dang. it. I'm digging it. Okay. Uh, with that says, Sam, what about you, brother? Well, right. So, uh, my answer was, uh, Twitter. Um, 
and I and I guess I, I could probably say social media, uh, just mm-hmm. because you know, 2020 has just been a it was a strange year, um, an uncomfortable year, uh, to say the least. So um just being on Facebook and Twitter and being surrounded well, by Facebook, no. I know, right? So just <laughs> being surrounded by like Facebook. <laughs> being <laughs> being like surrounded by the the reform culture, right? That <laughs> but like the super reform culture, right? That's like, oh, you know, some of these folks are like, oh, well, if you're Baptist, you're not even reformed. So it's like oh, wow. they're really uptight. And so seeing like, oh, well, you know, have you read this book by this person? Have you read this book by this person? But then the same book or the same author of the book that they're, you know, telling, oh, have you read this by this person? I go on Twitter and see they wilding. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yo, they're wilding. And I'm like, well, why would I, why would I want to digest this when, when this situation just happened with this young man who was jogging, they out here wilding right now. I can't get jiggy with that. Yeah, speak on it. Um, and so, uh, and then I I got introduced to some other um folks that just seemed like they was just fed up and uh had a different way of thinking and uh really challenged me. And then we started a podcast. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, so in, in in many ways, you guys have have really helped, but in in and honestly, I don't, I don't think radicalize is a, a derogatory word. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't take that no. derogatorily. You know what I'm saying? Um, in this particular sense, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, just inherently, I don't think it's, uh, it's. I think subjectively it might be, but inherently, I don't think it's no. derogatory. Um, but yeah, so that's really, that's really what helped, man. Just seeing, seeing one thing from respected leaders or what people would say are respected leaders. And then realizing like, yo, they don't have to be right. And there's a way to consistently be a Christian, right? And not be wild in the way they wild and and Mm. still be able to say like, yo, I matter. And my experiences are true. And no matter how much somebody else tells me, like, my experience of that, my experiences and and how I and how I've evolved from them, what I've learned from, they're all valid. Yeah. Right? Like, um, you might disagree with with some of my conclusions that I've come to, but you also don't have my experiences. Mm. So mm. just realizing those things that it's okay, um, it's okay to 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 be you. It's okay to not necessarily agree. Like, unity ain't uniformity. Um, to recognize when I'm assimilating and I'm not being me, you know what I'm saying? To you know, like just those small and subtle yeah. things um, that really help. That that really help radic- That that that's really helped radicalize me. Yeah, I want to before I give my answer, I want to say that the reason why we're starting here with what radicalized you is one because I feel for many, um, especially Black Christians, we're black. Uh, in case you didn't know, uh, so for many black Christians, there is a point of radical radicalization. And often that term is used to mean like more on fire for Christ. And 
Sure. Yes. But there's usually a unique dynamic that impacts uh, many black Christians when their concept of the world and their concept of God impacts with the wider uh, white theological uh, gatekeepers. And so that was such a nice way to say that, because (laughs) I was just going to say when your reality meets your theology what happens <laughs> exactly. and so that the, the, <laughs> when that intersection happens there is a point a trend and transition of radicalization and you realize that there is a difference between you and the, and the gatekeepers right and mm. so so for me uh that took place in stages but most uh mostly at uh, the intersection of the 2016 elections. And- Willard Romney. <laughs> <laughs> that was really hard. I, I, and I've spoken about this in uh, numerous other settings, so I won't belabor the point. But for me, I had been under an understanding, a naive understanding of Christianity that we were all on the same team. Mm. And I was in- pretty fundamentalist circles, pretty um, conservative circles. And I thought that we were all, I mean, hey, Christians, we believe these set of beliefs. We vote for people of character. We are against the liberals, quote unquote, (laughs) whatever that means. And we're, we're against the ACLU. We're against, you know, there's these things of the other that we are strong against. Right. And um, what I found leading up to the 2016 elections was a lot of those, uh, the scales started to fall from my eyes and they had been falling, especially during Obama's second term, as I realized that the people who really believed in Romans 13, um, wait, we don't, we don't talk about Obama and his wife. Like y'all told me to talk about leadership. Hello, somebody. Y'all pray for the, I noticed the tone of how, Um, people would pray for him, leaders would pray for him in the circles that I I was in. It was this angry, bitter, um, adversarial tone. And there was this, uh, there seemed to be this assumption that he was reprobate and almost working to repent. Yeah. Like we pray that Obama and his family would repent of their sins. And I'm thinking, wait, aren't they Christians? They don't worship the way that you do. But Mm. that I had started to think, right? Mm. I started to think for myself that some things were not adding up in the way that they had in previous seasons. And um, I thought, Obama seems like a good guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He seems great. Um, And so then by the 2016 elections, when we voted for our current president, Mm. I was done. And I realized that I had been bamboozled, hoodwinked. And run a muck. I mean, and, and I felt <laughs> a lot of grief in that I had been betrayed and that I had betrayed my own people. Wow. Um, for years. And that that was such a hard thing for me that I still bear in my body and in my emotions. Wow. But for years, I had been radicalized against my own people, mm-hmm. quote unquote, for the glory of God. Wow. And so as the scales fell off, I realized we're not on the same team. 
there's a team that actually wants to stamp out the survival of other people. Mm. And, but they're calling it Christianity. And so for me, wow, that was hard. Um, I still have regrets from previous seasons uh, being radicalized against my own people and against most in the margins. Um, and I work every day to atone for that. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a long winded, but no, yeah. that was, no. that was good, bro. Like my mind is blown right now. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. Yeah. You say like that. I, I think so. There's always like, you know, they had the whole WWJD movement way back when, right? Like, what would Jesus do? And it was all <laughs> cute and savory and everything like that. But it's so amazing how little attention we pay to that. Because I always go, like, when you talk about being radicalized, right? Like, we talk about the cross and the atonement, but we don't really, or I say we, a lot of people don't really think about what that means, that Jesus Christ mm-hmm. was crucified. That means that he was put on death row that he was executed and the question then becomes by whom and for what right like the 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 roman state did it um at the behest of the religious establishment because they viewed him as such a threat such a nuisance such a problem that they were like nah we got to get rid of him and why is that because the dude that we claim as lord and savior was so adamant about the fact like no y'all got this all wrong and the harshest words that he ever spoke were for the religious leaders and the religious establishment he showed the most compassion to the heathens and the people on the margins of the, of the society right so I, I say all of that to say that like when when we look at how we've been radicalized right and and when we get quote unquote on fire for jesus a lot of times it's in this whole pattern um that puts us in line with maintaining advancing, preserving whatever the status quo is, right? Whatever standards of holiness somebody has given us, as opposed to the dude who ran so far against that that they were like, no, we got to kill him. Mm. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So uh, when we talk about like what radicalized me, I I think the real answer was when I look at what Jesus's interactions were and the fact that he somehow found what we would call the raggediest people of the society to not only fellowship with, but to stand in the way of condemnation for them mm-hmm. and, and do all that stuff. And like, you know what? No, nah, I'm gonna chill with the tax collectors. I'm gonna chill with the yeah. women of ill repute. I'm gonna chill with all those people. And I'm gonna dare you to say something to me about it. Uh, <laughs> I hear you. Oh, uh, no, you're right. I, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that whole attitude of, of if I was trying to identify who might the Pharisees of today be? Mm. <laughs> oh, just, just, just that whole thing. And and I guess like, it's funny, we use the word radical like loosely here. Cause even if you said like, uh, you don't think it's an inherently bad thing, subjectively it might be bad, but inherently, cause a lot of times we think radical, we think about the people who get radicalized and then hop on planes and do bad things, right? right. But at the end of the day, like originally the term Christian was used as a derogatory term, right? If you are a follower of Christ, you were viewed as somebody who was odd, who was off the reservation, who was somehow radicalized into believing something that went against the grain. And if I believe this little brown man from this little town in Nazareth was willing to die 
<laughs> uh, for, for the things that he stood for and that he was the son of God. It ought to make you a little odd to, 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 to some people, right? Yeah. And, and I think like that kind of helped me embrace the idea of like, yo, whatever, like, yeah, some, somebody called me a radical and, and I used to get offended by that, but I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I am sure because Jesus said that he was counted among the rebels, right? <laughs> so, so kinda, so let, let's, let's do it. You know what I'm saying? Go all the way with it. And, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Let me, let me ask this question. Cause we kind of have alluded to it. Um, what role does your blackness, your understanding of being black, your your uh, proximity to blackness, what ways does that impact your relationship with God and with others? All right, so we're talking about theological frameworks. Yeah. We're talking about radicalization. Yeah. And Okay, so let's, you know, blackness enters the group chat. So what, <laughs> because at some point, it may be for, for people listening, their ethnic identity entered in later. Um, so what role does that um, play in your relationship with God and others? I, I'll say this, um, this isn't my answer, but I'll say this uh, to help the flow of the conversation. Mm-hmm. I originally, <laughs> this is naive, but I thought like I was taught that your ethnic identity is gone when you come to Christ, that you're a Christian first oh, before man. anything else. Let's talk about that. Right? No Greek. Yeah, yeah. No, like, there's no Jew. No. Yeah. And so yeah. you're Christian. And so there's something wrong when people say, I am a Latinx Christian there, or yeah. I am, you know, this type of Christian. I'm a native American yeah. Christian. I am an Indian Christian. I am the, it's like, no, you're a Christian. Everything Unless else. Unless you say up. I'm a conservative Christian. That's totally fine. True. Uh-huh. And, um, but what I realized in my radicalization process that I had been fed alive because everything that I had been consuming uh, by my white sisters and brothers they did not have to leave their ethnic identity at the door. Mm. What was considered normalized orthodoxy was all through the lens of whiteness. Yeah. And right. So, so what I realized is a, a lot of, eth- of other ethnic groups were like, yeah, let's put the blackness down so we can be a Christian. Um, but as they were talking about, and I think uh, Trey has talked about this before, but Beyonce was evil and and her understanding of of god and culture was demonic we it was actually preached about in the circles i was in beyonce was like very much condemned how come we're not condemning country music though Mm. (laughs) so what do you guys think about blackness yo i think i think i think um and, I, and, I'm, and I'm sorry to bulldoze here, but I think you hit on something real major. Like we love to quote that in, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. And I think we forget the context in which that was stated, right? Because if that statement talks about the fact that originally, right? Like Christ was Jewish. 
<laughs> that, that 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 was his identity and even even jesus in his earthly ministry he said that uh, uh when 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 the gentile woman came and he was like oh like I, I came to save israel and she was like yeah but even the 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 dogs get to eat the scratches tossed from the table or whatever right like it was always an idea there and, and and a subverting of the gentiles to jewish understandings of divinity of salvation yeah. and all those things so that statement that in christ there is neither jew nor greek says that like yo you leave that at the door when you come in here, meaning that it's not a statement of denying our identities. It's the fact that you don't subvert one person to another based on an ethnic identity. So when you try to use that in a modern context today, right? Like you say, oh, you worried about being black, but the Bible says in Christ, neither Jew nor Greek. Like, no, what you are asking me to do right now is to conform, to comply with your standards of what a Christian is, when really what that scripture is saying that you do not get to denigrate my interpretation, you do not get to denigrate my place at this table because of my ethnicity. That, that, anything, that, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an a indictment on white. You. Right, that's an do indictment you, on white supremacy. Yeah, Go you ahead. understand can, me? Can you say, Sam, why? Why? Why is that an indictment on white? Yes. Supremacy? I mean, for the for the same for the very same reason he just said. Look, this means that you don't get to undermine or or belittle or diminish my ethnicity or my skin color because you think that I'm, uh, so, uh you know, less than, uh, because I'm not Jewish or I'm not white, right? Because I was built or you think I was built to work outside, uh, in fields. That, that's not what they're saying. This is it. Look, we're the same here, right? You see me, I see you, I'm black. That's fine. But what's not fixing to happen, according to this scripture, is that you're not fixing to remove 90% of the Old Testament and give it to me, right? And take a salvation that's based on liberation and make it about servitude. Oh, come on. You understand? Because we talk about half half a half of Paul's letters was talking about circumcision. Like he spent a whole lot of time talking about penises, right? Like it is uncomfortable. But let's talk about it for a second. If you talk about the fact that think about this, no, think about this in a real life circumstance. If you say like, oh, I want to believe in Jesus Christ, and then you got a bunch of people like, okay, all you got to do is get part of your penis cut off, right? Like, nah, it's not worth it. You understand? And Paul is like, look, 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 look. In Jesus Christ, all of that stuff don't matter. What matters is your faith. Think about the fact that a lot of times what people expect and desire from you in today's context is a literal alteration of your manhood, your personhood. What they want is for you to to, to alter who you are fundamentally in a way that will harm you and not affect them in any single way, just so that you can conform to their standards of what they think holiness is. So when we talk about in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. (laughs) We're talking about the fact that, look, you don't get to determine what is holy, What it, who, who is closer to God than this, Jesus yeah. does. Yeah, for me, I, I, you, I, I think for me, what I, what I came to understand uh, in relation to blackness and understanding God in the world is as I began to look circumspectly at my white sisters and brothers, I realized they were fully utilizing their their culture and ethnic identity to interpret scripture, to, uh, 
to make theological rules, to make uh, seminaries, to make it. So the whole table that they were building was built through their cultural lens. Yeah. Um, but it was fed to me and others as if it was neutral. Mm. And, uh, and so as I began to say, hey, if they can do that, why can't I do that? Mm. But then not make it oppressive. Um, and um, as I started to <laughs> lean into my blackness, as I started to just swim in the ocean of that, as I started to see all of the ways God speaks through various people groups of the earth, it made me, my, my vision of God expanded. So I think mm. how did blackness and theology uh, come together in my life? I realized when they came together, I didn't become less of a Christian. I became more of a Christian mm. as I realized the beauty, the multifaceted dimension of God in the way that he works in the world. And so as I listened to black preachers now with a renewed vision and renewed ears, I started to see all the beautiful ways they would exposit scripture, all the different ways as I listened to uh, indigenous people speak of their understanding of God. As I saw, as I heard black theologians talk about God in all these ways, it was organic to me. And I realized I had only been listening to white people tell me what systematic theology was and why it was the right way to understand the Bible, why inerrancy looks like this and why it's the um, measure of salvific works why uh you know all these rules but i i started to question who made these rules and so for me my blackness god does not demand that i leave it at the door when i come to understand him and talk to him i talk to god through the lens of my blackness and god receives me there Ooh, right like <laughs> I don't, God, God does not demand something of me that is inherently dehumanizing. Mm. And that understanding of God exploded my prayer life. As I realized wow. I don't have to leave who I am at the door. I can bring the fullness of who I am to God's fullness. And he, and there's a divine encounter there, but then it made the scriptures make sense wow. because to your point, all of them are speaking through their cultural lens. All of every single man and woman speaking in scripture, they're not, well, I'm not, a, I'm not Jewish. So, or I, you know, I, I'm, I'm devoid of culture when I'm coming to God. No, <laughs> they realize all the different ways that God was mixing and working in the world. And they're writing scripture out of that place. Yeah. But through the lens of how they think and feel, right? And how they understand their own culture and other cultures that were surrounding them. And so what I realized is God desires my blackness to be in communion with him. Um, hey, we're cooking. This is Imago Day then. It's not an accident Ooh. that I'm black. Mm. My blackness is a key for other people understanding God better. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Samuel, any thoughts? <laughs> yes. Man, listen, the doors of the church are open. <laughs> Y'all come to the altar and get saved after that. Like what I'm supposed to say. Um, no, yeah. No, I, no, you good. Um, 
just real quick though like isn't it amazing that we have this wonderful savior that knows our context right and even in knowing our context still openly embraces us like he openly welcomes us despite our context Mm -hmm. bruh sorry that's like me tying my blackness into my theology that's just because like you rob like i was steep like i was deep into uh reformed theology so much to the point where i i digested so much systematic theology i had really no concept of practical theology so when i'm at bible studies or leading bible studies it would get so (laughs) systematic i would lose people yes because I had I had no concept of how to real how I couldn't rela- I couldn't make it relatable, right? It was like yo, this is this is what the word of God says. This is what we believe, and this is true, and that's it. You don't need nothing else, right? Like God is not a liar, and this is His word. Real talk, right? Um, but what I'm learning, uh, because I'm still learning in it, is that you know my context, my culture, our story, um, the way we've come to America and the hell that our people have been through historically here in America for God, for them to have this faith in God. And you you mentioned this um, on the last episode in a different context, but I'm going to put it in this one. Rob, you said um, you, you thought me and Trey's stories were kind of amazing because we didn't have this sort of um, Damascus, Damascus Road moment to be mm. saved. We was just out here believing. Yeah. And so suffice it to say, like, yo, our folks was just out here believing, bro. They was just Ooh. out here believing that God was gonna make a way, that he was gonna, um, that he was a God of recompense, that he was gonna pay back, that he was gonna redeem them, that he was gonna mm. liberate them, and not just them, generations to come after. So their hope wasn't even for them, their hope was for those after them that they would have better, right? Like, so there you have that community aspect of what is our culture, right? From from African-American culture before it gets tainted with that individualist capitalist mindset yeah. of me, myself, yeah. and I, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Um, so that I'm just, I'm real, that I'm still learning. Um, and, and, and honestly, I love it. I've fallen in love with God all over again um, yes. I'm I like I've embraced my black bro I got locks now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I've embraced my blackness. Um and and not to the point where, you know, uh where I, I'm not to the point where I, I at least I don't think I make other people feel bad for not being black, but um because I don't wear I don't wear it like that, but it's not I'm, my problem. It, it, it's <laughs> well, I mean like I'm gonna walk with my head held high. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to look you in the eyes and I'm going to shake your hand firmly because I'm a man. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm a human being. I'm yeah. a black man. And I hold the same intrinsic value that you have. You know what I'm saying? So in that yeah. aspect, but like, I ain't out here being like, bro, if you ain't black, you at, you know what I'm saying? I, <laughs> like, think, I'm not- <laughs> I, I, I think to your point, you know, I said this earlier, I think I posted on Twitter, some would call it idolatry, but that's that to, to Trey's point, that's not my problem. Right. Embracing Imago Dei is embracing even the Imago Dei within ourselves, right? And like, it was intentional. We were intentionally crafted by God, right? And so 
the more that I embrace my blackness, that might make you feel uncomfortable. But I think that probably makes you uncomfortable to the degree that you don't know that we were created in the image of God. I think it's important to recognize why embracing our own blackness is so important and so transformative so many because it's not a matter of like embracing our blackness because we hate or dislike white people it's a matter of embracing our blackness because it was deliberately intentionally and systematically stripped away from us blackness Mm. is only a thing because I can't point to anything else. I can't point to a tribe. I can't point to a nation. I can't point to a tongue that my ancestors came from that was deliberately stripped away from them uh, to the end that somebody else might be benefited from the the, the, the blood, sweat, and tears of the people that made me, right? Absolutely. So when we talk about that, it's not even, and, and, and I'm not like making this up. It's not like something that's very distant in the past. I personally, me, Trey, Trey, 30-year-old Trey, born in 19, 19- 90 Trey have had interactions with the Ku Klux Klan. I have had people tell me straight up to my face in the past 18 months that, that oh, well, do you know black people are this way because X, Y, Z. People have gone out of their way to try to make me ashamed of the fact that I can't point to my history, that my skin happens to be a little darker. So when I embrace the fact that I was made in the image of God in my totality, that mm-hmm. requires me in embracing the fact that my skin happens to be black, that, that, that there are certain things that culturally I inherited. Now, the fact that there is this such a, a strong reaction or backlash to that belies the fact that there was an, an intention, that there was a deliberate uh, a, a deliberate effort to strip that away from us. If black people being proud to be black, black makes you uncomfortable, you need to ask yourself, why is that? You know, like we have this whole backlash like, well, what if we talked about white history month? Uh, that doesn't make a whole ton of sense. Cause if you look at the rest it's of every history, month. Yeah. But, <laughs> but see, that's that's their that's their individualist mentality because see for them they're thinking individually, right? Oh well, well yeah. I'm not racist and I haven't done that. So because I haven't done this, there should be a white history month. But what about historically? So you want to look at me as a people group or as a social group, but you want to look at yourself as an individual. Well, Reinhard Niebuhr said, and 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 I think this is strategic. This is just me, uh, but I think this is that it appears to be that social groups are treated as if they're more um, immoral, socially immoral than individuals. Yeah. So right. when you deal with black people, you want to talk to them, uh, talk talk statistically about them, mm. right? Within statistics, and use yeah. them as a social group. But when you talk to you talk, you know, reference racism with white people, you want to reference yourself. It's, it's right. only individual. You're right. And I think it's helpful to, to me as we're talking about this. I see blackness, um, one, not as a response to whiteness. Who we are as a people group is not just who we're not or who, you know, who or what white supremacy has tried to craft in us. But two, I see blackness. I'm going to be very blunt. I see it as the vehicle, the change agent to help liberate the world. Mm. And that's a bold statement, but I mean it. So the very gift that God gave us is, can be, emphasis can be, theologically liberating. It can be socially liberating and politically liberating. I'll give an example. Because 
of where we are socially located, even within our country. Let's localize it to that. We are at the bottom rung of society. Uh, inside and outside the church, right? <laughs> um, and um, because we are there, you get a, a wide view of power, oppression, suppression. You get to, to I think, um, Sam, you were just talking about this. We get a view of God that is earthy and tangible because our even our ancestors had to encounter the God of the Bible in very tangible ways. Maybe they couldn't, um, maybe they didn't know Hebrew and Greek, right. but they knew the God of the Bible. They, they really knew him in very tangible ways, um, even when we couldn't read. And so because of our social location, we have a unique opportunity to lock hands with every other ethnic group and help not condescend to them, not say that we are, you know, before someone hears us and they're like, this is black supremacy. It's never going to happen, y'all, FYI. Um, so <laughs> never fear, black supremacy is not going to happen because right, right. y'all got all the power. Oh. Um, and, and power. So, <laughs> but because of where we're uniquely situated, you might have a PhD in something, but I, in humility, I have a view of God that you don't have. And I have something to bring to the table that maybe is not PhD worthy, but I see God in different ways. I also think black women are uniquely situated and anointed to lead uh, politically, socially, um, in the workplace and in the church. I believe that black women, because out of all of us, they're at the lowest end of, of the ladder and they they can see they have to learn the language of, of every person they interact with, right? Talk so, about it, yeah. So because of where they are, when you hear Black women preach, they have metaphors that are so rich and inviting. And I'm like, man, they can speak into a very white conservative space. They can speak in various ethnic groups and they can they have analogies for days. Absolutely. Because they are forced in many ways to conform to others. And so they, they're powerful orators. And so for me, blackness then becomes, and it can become an agent of change in a good way, right? And so it's, it's not just being black for the sake of being black. I think God has given us a unique ability where we are with what he's given us to be uh, agents of change. So that's my thought. Yeah, I think even, okay, if you talk about this biblically, like strictly from a biblical standpoint, even when you're dealing with the nation of Israel, right? In, in the Hebrew Bible, you're dealing with the nation of Israel. God's means, according to the Hebrew Bible, God, God's, God's means of adjusting and setting the course right require the utilization of other nations, other ethnicities to, to write the course. So when you talk about the fact that like, you know, we're not talking about black supremacy, but I absolutely affirm the fact that black people, that the black church, that black theology is necessary for the next move of where we're going for the simple fact that, okay, one of the things that um, I, I like to call it the oppression Olympics, right? Like uh, white conservative Christians love 
making up reasons to be oppressed. Like, oh, now the government's telling us we can't sneeze in our neighbor's face because of the coronavirus, right? Like, y'all let it do that, man. Trey, log out. <laughs> but, but, but look at this fact. Like, I, I, if you look at the history of the black church that was born literally in secrecy, like they would have to go to regular church with, with mass in them, standing and making sure nobody fell asleep. Like, I remember being maybe nine or 10 years old going to the Black History Museum in Richmond, Virginia, and sitting in a pew that was actually in one of the slave churches back in the day, where the, the, the pew was constructed at a 90 degree angle because they didn't want any slaves to fall asleep or any slave people to fall asleep, right? So they had to sit straight up, being that uncomfortable in church, and then having to go off into the brush harbors later in the day to have your real worship, your your authentic worship, to worship God in spirit and in truth. When your theological tradition was born under those circumstances, right? When, when like the, you look at the AME church and how that was born and all of the other traditions, you look at, at, at the Kojic church, all, all, all of the historically black denom, denominations and things of those natures, um, all of the things that went into their formation. If you look at that being your theological heritage, it tells you a whole lot about operating under oppression, about operating under secrecy, that truth be told, the church of the dominant culture in these United States of America that claims to be a Christian nature is, 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 is a Christian nation rather is going to be missing. So a lot of people who are pointing out things that they believe oh revival is on the horizon, according to their criteria, according to their rubric, according to all of the things that they're looking for, the church advancing in this day and age, the black church has those qualifications. uh, and 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 so i think it's past time that we recognize like you said it's not about black supremacy it's about creating a seat at the table for people who've been there for people who Mm -hmm. have been believers people who have had their faith forged in fire Mm -hmm. (laughs) had it tried at every single turn not just by, by by the circumstances of the world but the people who have carried the name of jesus christ so proudly if, if you look at their faith enduring under those circumstances, it might be time to let some of those people have a seat at the table of leadership in this season. Because we now have a Patreon, which Patreon. I want to encourage each and every one of y'all to, to visit at uh, patreon.com slash three black men. Uh, think through it, pray through it ask God uh, um, if, if he would have you partake in this work that we're doing because on top of some bonus content here we have uh, some blog pieces going up there's going to be some devotional content coming out and I want to encourage you guys um, to visit that Patreon patreon.com slash three black men go watch and, um, my kids ruin my videos go ahead watch, watch them. <laughs> them them babies ain't ruin nothing man matter of fact there's more people going to sign up to, to see them babies how about that bro <laughs>